Today we're going to talk about, in a different way, uh, the last three core values of KPC, which are service, outreach, and evangelism. So when we talk about, when we talk about witnessing for Jesus Christ, it is these three components that come together that make up our witness. Now, now they're really important, so I want to make sure we get what they are. Service is simply where we literally serve people in need. And there are all kinds of needs out there in our world, but we literally do something about it. Practically, personally, financially, physically, we help people in need. That's what, I mean, it's something you cannot miss in Scripture. It's part of the call of Jesus Christ on the church. And then we have outreach, which is often, often left out of evangelism or a, a left out of witness. And outreach is where we seek people out. And we, we literally build relationships with people on the outside. And then, of course, you have evangelism, which is where we relate to people who are, are spiritually lost. We relate who Jesus Christ is. In our lives, in the Word of God, we tell the story. And again, all three of these are very important to witness. Witness takes a big shot when any one of these is missing. For example, witness without service means very little to somebody with an empty stomach. means very little to, to, to somebody with empty hands. Coming with a message but no other practical help in their life. Service makes a difference. Outreach is important because it, it, it's kind of hard to, to hear the message of Jesus Christ from somebody you don't know. And that, that's why sometimes you'll hear people say, man, the guy came at me with Scripture, and, you know, he's talking all about Jesus, but it was just so intrusive. It was so pushy. I had no idea who this person was trying to share this message with me. It, it's pretty difficult when you take the outreach part. And, of, cor of course, w with evangelism, well, with evangelism, we, we've got to tell people who Jesus Christ is. I mean, how can someone make Jesus Christ Lord if we never tell them that Jesus Christ is Lord? Their faith comes from hearing this message of who our God is. So again, all three are really important. Now, having said that, believe it or not, I am not going to talk anymore about service, outreach, and evangelism for the rest of this sermon. And you might say, well, Steve, why not? Because if you've been in the church any amount of time, you already know about these three things, all right? You already know that we're supposed to be doing these things. So, so to hear another service, a sermon on, you know, what these are and why we should do them, it, it kind of is a waste of breath. So instead, I'm going to do two things today. First of all, I want you to see what it looks like when the church does this, when they witness in this way, service, outreach, and evangelism. I want you to see what it looks like for a group of people to do this, and then after that, I'm going to talk to you about the problem, okay? So, are you guys ready to roll that uh, video? This is the church serving. All right, did, all, did, you, did you notice all the components are there in that? Uh, there's definitely that serving aspect. There's reaching out, getting to know people, the touch. I love the touch in that scene. And then, obviously, people are getting the message of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because the door swings wide open when you love someone like that, they want to know the hope within you, the difference that's made. And even the woman up there says, you know, four years ago, I was on the street. I was homeless. These people reached me. They ministered to me. So there's just a beautiful example of, of the church witnessing together. So I want you to get, just get a vision that we can change a community. We can change a city. People's lives can be changed when the church comes together like this. 
Now, also note that that is not the only way to do witness. It's not the only way to reach out, to serve, and to share Jesus Christ. And to me, half the fun now is figuring out how do we do this? You know, given our talents, given the needs in our city, the hope within us, how do we take what God has put in us and how do we reach our city? So, I'm excited about it. And we have also, just so you know, staffed for this part of the vision, um, we have hired Buffy Lane. Buffy, I know you're here because I'm looking right at you. Our dear Buffy, who has a nickname that I will not repeat in public that I made up for her, but we've hired Buffy to do this, and we're calling her our outreach coordinator. And so what, what Buffy's job is or what her ministry is among us is, first of all, to look throughout the congregation and find out who already is doing this. Because listen, People will gravitate toward this on their own if the church doesn't. When the church programs itself away from evangelism, outreach, service, I'll tell you this, there are always some in the body who will say, no, I've got to stand up, even if I'm alone and I will reach out. We've got folks in the body who are already, already doing this. Um, one example is someone who, who actually just rejoined us, uh, Henry Justice, has, uh, yeah, Henry. But y'all, Henry actually has a ministry that's very similar to this. I mean, doing this kind of thing already, Henry's had needs for years. What he's had to do in the past is just, is just gather the one or two or maybe the three or four that would say yes. But now together with Buffy, we can help connect, plug folks into that. And there are other ministries in the body. So you're going to see a lot of this from Buffy. There are going to be more opportunities to reach out, come together, discover how can we change the Hampton Roads area. Because y'all, I'm telling you, if Gideon can do it with 300, we got double that here. So I'm telling you, it, 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 all that we need is right here. So anyway, that is what service, outreach, and evangelism, what witness looks like. Now let's talk about the problem, okay? Because there is a problem. There is an elephant in the room in almost every church in America. Well, most churches in America. And the elephant in the room is, well, why don't we do it? You know, why, why don't we like to do this? I mean, what is it that keeps us from engaging with our world like this? Because let's face it, like, for example, in Charlotte, um, th there were almost a thousand individual churches in Charlotte. If you had a thousand churches doing this kind of thing, man, the city would be blitzkrieged with goodness. You never saw it. So why in the church don't we do it? Let's talk about that. And then let's talk about God's glorious solution for us because there is a solution. So let me read this to you. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. This is a very familiar passage, and uh, if you don't recognize it from the reference, I guarantee you one sentence in, you'll go, oh yeah, it's that one. So here you go. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie or defraud. And honor your father and mother. Teacher, he said, all these commands I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
So here we have a place in Scripture where Jesus is leaving one place for another. He happens to be in Judea, and he is, uh, he's leaving for Jerusalem. So Jesus is packing up. They're, they're about to set off, and suddenly a man rushes into the scene. Okay, out of nowhere, this guy comes flying up. And listen, by our standards, by church standards, this is the guy we want. Okay, everybody wants this guy in their church. Everything about, I mean, if we've got a checklist, this guy, he, everything checks off. First of all, he's very interested in spiritual life, okay? Eternal life, this guy wants it. He wants in on it. Here is the kingdom of God before him. He can smell it, you know? He can, he can see it in his mind, his heart's eye. He wants in. This guy's eager, races right up to Jesus. When, it, when he gets to Jesus, he shows Jesus tremendous respect, doesn't he? I mean, the, the, you know, in, in the New Testament, in, in the Old Testament as well, you run into these people that, you know, they're, they're not all in yet, you know, that they haven't fully joined up, but they're God-fearers. They're just people who fear the Lord. This guy's one of them. Falls on his knees, calls Jesus good teacher. And he is also, as we go on in the passage, he's all about the Word of God. This, this guy obviously has read Scripture. Jesus brings up the commands. This guy is all over it. Again, like I said a minute ago, not too shabby by church standards, right? I mean, th this guy's one we, one we want. But then Jesus stops him short, right? He stops him short with a comment and then a very good question. The comment is this. He says to the man, only God is good. Only God can be called good, so why are you calling me good? Is that what you believe about me? Before you think Jesus is being rude here, let me just say something. Back then in that time in the ancient Near East among Jews, people did not use this word good for any human being, okay? This was reserved for God alone. So what I'm telling you is Jews did not speak to one another this way. Mark, you're a great youth pastor. You know, Neil, you're, they didn't do that. So it's a good question Jesus is asking the man about who he believes God to be. And it's also a good question because to hear this man's words, he is clearly confused about eternal life. His own words give it away when he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, why is he confused? Well, we all know, right? That's not how inheritance works. Inheritance has never worked that way, right? One day, hopefully, Dad, if you're watching this, I will inherit from my father, right? Okay? Why will I inherit from my father? Because I am his son. In other words, my dad didn't, when I was growing up, he didn't go like this. Well, okay, Stephen, let's see, have you done enough chores? Uh, okay, that's, you know, have you been a good son? It never works that way. Children inherit because they are the children of the parents, right? That's how it works, folks. It's the same way with, with eternal life. Salvation is a gift that God gives us because we become his children. That's how eternal life works. Nobody earns salvation. You either receive this gift, Jesus Christ, eternal life. You either receive it or you don't receive it. So this man is confused. This guy is off base. Jesus knows he's off base. He doesn't know he's off base. So Jesus now helps him to see that he isn't on base. He's standing out between first and second. So Jesus moves now to open his eyes, and he does so in a very clever way. 
Jesus asks him the question, do you know the Word of God? Let's start with Scripture, okay? Do you know the commands? And then what Jesus does is he, he unrolls a short list of the commands, all right? These are the Ten Commandments, actually commandments five through nine. Jesus lays them out for the man. And, and, and he says to them, okay, those commands are don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie or defraud, and honor your father and mother. And the man replies back, yes, teacher. I not only know the Word of God right here, I've lived this. Since my childhood, I've walked these out. And y'all, I love verse 21. Okay, I, I just, verse 21 makes me melt every time I hear it. He answers that way, and it says, Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. And what that simply means is Jesus looks at this man and he sees the seeking heart. He sees that this man wants in. He, he sees that he's as sincere as he knows how to be. So in other words, it's not like Jesus is going, oh, yeah, well, you know those five, you know, well, okay. Well, you know, it's, he's not setting him up. There's no condemnation here. Jesus is for this man. That's what verse 21 means, and I just think it's fantastic. So Jesus says back to him, very good. The commands that relate to you and other people, how you treat other people, all those are in order. It's excellent so far, but you have a problem. There is a gaping hole in your spiritual life. Now, is anybody surprised to find out that this guy has a problem? No, right? I mean, we know he has a problem, okay? He's the one who came rushing into the, into, into the scene. He's the one who, say, who said, look, Jesus, I know I'm, I'm pretty upright, but I know something isn't right. So this isn't a shock, but Jesus goes on to help the man understand that there is one major problem in his life, and it is spiritual, and it is serious, but he can face it, and he can be set free of it if he wants to. So Jesus says, look, if you want life, here's what you need to do. Take all your possessions, go and sell them, and give the money to the poor. And then guess what? You'll enter into fullness. You know, you'll enter into life, eternal life, abundant life. And then, and that, that'd be good enough right there. I'd be like, thank you, Jesus. But Jesus says, and then after that, then come and join us. Come and follow me everywhere I'm going. I want you to go. This guy's got the deal of a lifetime here. Now, as I say that, I didn't hear a lot of amens, and here's why. Because when we hear that verse of Scripture, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and then you've got it, it makes, especially because we're Americans, it makes us shudder inside. Are you kidding me? I, I, I've got to become poor to get eternal life? But listen, if anybody's having that freak out inside, relax, don't freak out, because that's his issue. Okay, this is the problem that's true in his life. And so do you see what Jesus has done? Because it, it, it's, it, I won't call it sneaky because I could never call Jesus sneaky, but it's really crafty, okay? What Jesus has done is he laid out those commands, and, and, but, but by talking to him about his possessions and getting rid of it, what Jesus has done is he's actually walked him around all the way back to the very first commandment. He's brought him back to the first commandment. This man is in violation of the first commandment, and the first commandment simply states, look, you will have no other gods before me in your life. That's the problem with this brother's life. He's got a major idol in his life, and his idol is his wealth. 
his riches. And when I say idol, here's what I mean. This, this thing is his God. This thing is his master. And, and listen, before we get, you know, I, I don't want to sound like the preacher I grew up hearing. Well, money is evil. You can't have money. Anybody with money, it's it. That's not the point here. Money is not evil. The love of money is. This man loves his money. The problem with this guy is not that he's got great wealth. The problem with his, him is his great wealth has got him. It has him, and that's the point. But again, the chance of a lifetime, the chance to follow Jesus Christ, but he's just got this dilemma, and I'm actually modeling the dilemma for you right now. This man has only got how many hands? He's only got two he only has two hands. And so the point for him is, look, you can't hold on to the riches of this world like this and lay hold of the kingdom of God at the same time. You can't do it. That's his dilemma. He can't serve two masters. I mean, it would be like reading about the legends of King Arthur or the legend of King Arthur and, and here, you know, getting, coming across the line. And King Lan- uh, Sir Lancelot served King Arthur and he also served this king over here. That's crazy. It doesn't work in any kingdom like this. This man can't serve two masters. And by the way, these two masters that he's caught in between right now, you know, the, the ruler of this earth, so to speak, and, and, and the king of heaven, they're both going in different directions anyway, all right? So unless his brother's like Stretch Armstrong, and if I go any further, I'm pulling something, he can't go in two directions at once. So I know it was painful, yes, but... So, so what's he going to do? What's he going to decide? I mean, w- w- how will this thing end? And we know the answer to the story. For this man, he cannot go with Jesus. Not now. Not if he's got to let go. Not if he's got to surrender what he's got. He, 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 and, and so what happens to him is he walks off with slumped shoulders, a sad expression on his faith. And, and, and I don't think he's walking away like this. I think he's walking away like this with his idol just leading him away from Jesus. The man goes away, and he's just brokenhearted. And so Jesus watches him kind of slump off, you know, fade away into the distance, and and he says this to the disciples. He says to them how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, And what he's saying is, look, how hard it is for anybody who is rich in, in, in other things besides God, how hard it is for them to follow. Not to attend church, not to be a part of the program, but to really go where Jesus is going, how hard it is for them to enter into the fullness of the kingdom. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I mean, that, 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 that's pretty strong. And Jesus is saying, look, here is a man who, because of his idol, he's completely blind to what matters most. His self-worth who he is, all of it is just bound to something that will not last. So that's the man's story, okay? That, that's the guy. We got the guy? Good. All right. Now, to quote Linda Richmond, can we talk? Can we talk right now, okay? Um, let, let's bring this down home because, see, here's the thing. Although some of us are not rich in possessions, we share this man's problem. His issue is our issue. Or to, or to sound real contemporary, his wheelhouse is our wheelhouse. We all live in this man's world. For some of us, it, it might be possessions. You know, it, it, it might be wealth. And we just hold on to those things way too dearly. I mean, there is a relentless pursuit 
inside of us for these things. It matters so much that we get these things. Like this man, things in this world like money and possessions, they have us. Our hearts have wrapped around them. It's an idol. And y'all, they do impact us. When it comes to saying yes to Jesus Christ, when it comes to saying yes, these things impact our lives. They turn that yes into a no real quick. For others of us, uh, it could be different. Sometimes the idol is not a possession. It's not money. Sometimes it's people. That we are holding on to people way too closely. And what I'm talking about is this. The opinion of other people, especially certain other people, it matters so much to us. It drives us in life. Or their approval, I have got to have their approval, or, or, or I'm nobody, I'm nothing. Y'all, this happens to us. These, th- these folks have a place in our heart that is idolatrous. And see, in order to follow Christ, when it comes to idols like these, they've got to be surrendered. It's the only way it works. We've got to let go of these things, these folks. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 29. He says, there is a very healthy letting go of people. You know, father, mother, brother, sister, lands, possessions. There is a very healthy letting go for me and for the gospel. It might not be a complete break from these things or these people in our lives. But I'll tell you this. Here's how you know. If they are on the throne of our hearts, Jesus is saying to us, man, they got to go. They have got to be escorted off of there for you to be able to follow me. All right, but people and things are not the only idols out there. I'm going to bring up another one and get to meddling. Okay, y'all know what meddling is? When, when I used to preach, I, I preached at a country church when I started, uh, first started ministry, and sometimes I, there was one guy in the church, and every now and then I would preach a little too close to comfort for him. You know, I'd get a little too close to his issues, and it was probably my issues that day too, but every Sunday that I would do that, you know, I'd bring up something that, you know, was, was, a, was a hot button for him. At the door, he would meet me and he would go, Pastor, today you just, you went from preaching to meddling in my life. So I'm going to meddle, but understand this, I am not just meddling with you, I'm meddling with me on this one. I'm going to meddle and I'm going to bring up, uh, say a word, uh, entertainment. Okay, let me just talk about entertainment. Before I go here, I will say something else. I hate legalism, okay? I despise behavioral Christianity where somebody comes up with a list of rules. I grew up in a church like this in the early days. You know, uh, don't go to movies, don't play cards, don't dance, you know, all this other stuff. I hate that kind of stuff, okay? Somebody comes up with a bunch of rules. They put that yoke on your net. You feel exasperated, constrained. So I'm not going to give you a bunch of rules when it comes to entertainment, but I do want to give us a principle, okay? A principle, it's a biblical principle, it is a life-changing principle, and I think it needs to be said in this age, okay? Because we are, and I love this, we are in the age of grace. I think the church has figured out, man, we got to be more graceful. We need to step underneath the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Very true. But having said that, I want to talk to you for just a minute about, um, about uh, entertainment. What we take in through these senses, what we take in has a tremendous impact on who we become, okay? My grandmother said it another way, and she said it to me often, honey, garbage in, garbage out. There's a lot of truth to that, okay? In other words, okay, in other words, we cannot say, I want to look like Jesus 
I want to live like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus and watch everything and anything out there. We just can't do it. Listen to me. I love you like a papa. If it is pollution and we take it in, it does pollute us. It, it, it does that. An example, have you ever watched something? Okay, now I've done this, so if I'm confessing, you can't too. Have you ever watched something? Maybe you didn't know it was involved, but you watch it, and the next day you're like, oh my gosh, I just can't shake that off. You know, you feel like you're in the movie Ghostbusters. I just got slimed by that. You know what that is? That is your heart and your mind and your conscience saying, man, that wasn't good for us. Man, we feel cluttered up. Oh, we were darkened by that. It, it, it's your heart telling you, garbage. It hurts us. And my, my wife brought this up. I thought this was the most brilliant thing. She said, it's consumerism. And I went, boom, that's exactly what it is. We have got to be careful of being consumers of some stuff in entertainment. Because here's, here's consumerism. The principle of consumerism is you got to consume it as a consumer, Okay? And, and it ends up consuming you if you're not careful. So beware of consumerism when it comes to, to, to some of our entertainment. As Christ followers, listen, sacrifice is still in play. Self-denial, it, it, it's, it's still a part of the action of heaven for you and I. And it does have to come in at some point. I, I love what Romans 12.2 says. Romans 12.2 says, look, don't conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we know the renewing of our mind is the Word of God. And so we say, well, how do I do this? I mean, then what's the line? What's the litmus test? I'll give you a great one. Psalm 103. The psalmist says there, he says, I will not set before my eyes any worthless thing. I think that's a, that's a great litmus test. Is what I'm about to watch, is it worthless? Is it going to bring redemption, life in any way and just... Folks, consider it, okay? Consider it as a guy who's considering it himself. And I say all of that valuing personal freedom, knowing that, you know, some of us have, have grace to do some things within the Word of God that others of us don't. I, I value that. But understand this about freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ does mean that I have been set free from sin and death, but I have also been set free to say no to sin and temptation. See, there's a freedom there too. I can say no. The rest of the world is tempted. They get sucked in. I've got a new freedom. I can say no. I can walk away. I can rise up in Jesus' name. I can walk through this world in a very different way like Jesus did. And, and so I just have to say this when it comes to idolatry, that some of what ails the church when it comes to following Christ and, and, and to, to witness is that we have crossed the line. And I think we know it. We've chosen, in some cases, conformity to the world over transformation in our lives. And it does have an impact. And I'd be lying and selling something different if I said anything different. It's just true. The same can also be said of sin and addictions, by the way. You know what the answer for sin is, addictions in our lives? It is the beautiful cross of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus. It is He died and He was resurrected. I have called upon Him. I've accepted Him. I've been set free and I'm being set free. You know what won't, won't take care of sin in our lives? Calling it something else. Pretending like it's not there. You know, watering it down. Or, or even the most deadly of all saying, well, you know, that was cultural back then. But hey, we're cool now. None of that works. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it, it's obedience to His Word. It's walking with Him. 
And I know as we hear all of this, you know, we hear about the idolatry of people and possessions and, you know, the idolatry of entertainment and the idolatry of sin. We can feel very much like the disciples in this passage. You know, the disciples in verse 26, <laughs> they, they see all of this, right? We hear it today. They see all of this, and they look up at Jesus, and they're like, well, well Jesus, you know, in light of that, if that's what this following is, well, who can be saved? You know, and what the disciples are saying is, look, this is impossible. How, how can we, we ever be that good? Jesus' answer back is golden. It's, oh, it's perfect. Jesus acknowledges the truth. He goes, you're right. It's absolutely impossible with mankind. It's impossible to save yourself. It's impossible to, to, to free yourself. But with God, it's entirely possible. Oh, with God, it's more than possible. And folks, that is the point. And you know where that brings us right now? To ministry time. Okay, it brings us to ministry time. Beloved, I want you to know this. There is a world outside of these walls that doesn't know Jesus Christ, and they desperately need Jesus. There are people who they have got to hear the message. And, and folks, we are the ones who are called, not only called, but commanded to take the good news to them. We are called to, to love them toward Jesus, to reach out, to, to introduce Jesus Christ to them. But the truth for the church is that is not going to happen that way if our hearts are divided. If we have other gods, if, if we have other loves. And what I'm talking about simply is just the me first life, you know? It's, hey, I'm living for number one, and number one is, you know, I happen to be pointing up there, but that's not number one. Number one's right here. A life all about me is never going to result in the salvation of the world. And by the way, sometimes churches do this. You know, we become a me first church, and the me is just all of us in here. You know, the programs are for us and our kids, and we assemble for our goodness and all of that. And you know, they can come in and join us if they want to, but if they can't and they go to hell, well, that's on them. A lot of times that happens in the church. The question right now in this moment is, what about us? What do we say? How do we respond? You, how do you respond? Me, how do I respond to this? Will we, as the children of God, as disciples, will we let go? Will we surrender that which is fading that which will not last, for that which lasts forever, will we? Can we lay down our idols and follow Jesus Christ on a mission? And in the process of following Him on the mission, become the mission. The fields are white. Where are the laborers? That's the question. So here's what we're going to do. Let you guys lead us in worship. And by the way, let me just say this. The last song y'all did, Oceans, you don't have to do it again, but that, the way y'all sang it, it was like prophetic. I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly. I mean, you guys, without knowing the sermon, you were leading right into this. So, um, having not put any pressure on them at all. <laughs> Let me just say this. During this time, we want to open up the front for prayer. Some of you may want to come up, and there'll be altar ministers up here, just people to pray with you. If you need to pray with somebody about anything in your life, please come up here. Pray with them. If you want to come up front and not pray with anybody, we've still got room. If you want to stay where you are and worship and just pray about all of this, please do. But we invite you. Let me say a prayer, and then uh, in, a little bit, in a little bit I'll close this. So uh, I'll pray, and then shallow you guys take it. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. And Lord, the, the, the mission of Jesus Christ is glorious. God, to be a part of this. Lord, to, to have our lives be the, be the next chapters of your word. Oh, God, it's thrilling. But Father, today in Jesus' name, we just, 
we don't look at the man and, and Lord, respond to the rich young man and go, man, how could he? Lord, we, we look back at ourselves and we say, Lord, would you forgive us where we're guilty of idolatry? And it is a human thing. And I thank you that today there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's forgiveness. So, Father, would you forgive us and would you help us to repent for being fans and spectators instead of followers of yours? God, would you forgive us for building lives and for serving ourselves instead of serving you and the world around us? God, would you forgive us today in Jesus' name for giving into the fear of man instead of responding out of just a beautiful reverential fear to you and what you have said to do? Father, would you forgive us for giving so much less than our full attention, our hearts and our energies to you, and not just to go out and again legalistically stomp through the streets, but Lord, to just beginning by, by opening the, arm, our, the arms of our heart and saying, Holy Spirit, come on. Come on and work on me. I, I read something I cannot do. Come and change me. My affections are not your affections. Lord, would you give me your heart? And then, Father, would you help me to join together with my brothers and sisters to be a blessing in here and out there to neighbors regardless of whether they're a member of the church or they just, you know, we, we, we share the same town. So Father, in Jesus' name, meet us. Holy Spirit, have your way in us and do what only you can do in us in these moments. In Jesus' name, you're so welcome.